Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, everyone. My name is Lorraine, and it's really a pleasure being with you. And I'm really excited to see new faces in the crowd, as well as just want to mention this. My heart's desire today is that you would meet Jesus, because if you meet him, everything changes for you. Great. So we're in a series called Disciple Shift, and it's a series that we, together as a congregation, trust God for a shift in the way we think about, live out, being disciples of Jesus. And we do this every year. This is our fifth year in a row that we're actually busy with this series called Disciple Shift. And this year, the theme at the bottom says, Disciple Shift devoted to the way. We're going to be looking at devotion of disciples to Jesus. Now, if you were with me last week, you'll know I'm going to ask you the following. Everybody say, I am devoted. And now your partner looks at you and says, yeah, right, it's the beginning of the year. You're always devoted. Am I correct? Kind of like that. Now, it's always at the beginning of the year that we're really devoted and very excited. And as a church, we get together and we align ourselves with the great commission of Jesus. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to tell the world about Jesus. And then the month of love arrives and everything just like flies out the door and kind of it's gone. And there it goes. Can I just say as a family, we trust God that this family would not be a family that's known for putting up shows, for being busy with anything else, building a brand, recruiting attendees, whatever it may be. No, no. We are devoted to making full-blooded followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. So everything we do, every gathering, every course, every group, every church activity that we do together is focused on this one goal to see people grow as disciples. In fact, I got this wonderful, beautiful quote by Oswald Chambers. I quickly want to read it to you. It says the following, Discipleship means personal, passionate devotion to a person, our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a difference between devotion to a person and devotion to principles or to a cause. Our Lord never proclaimed a cause. He proclaimed personal devotion to himself. Think about that for a moment. And then he ends this off. He says, to be a disciple is to be a devoted love slave of the Lord Jesus. That's primarily what it means. And when you read stuff like this, by spiritual giants like this, you suddenly get this feeling inside of you like, I'm really not doing that well as a disciple. Am I correct when I'm saying that? Just a little moment of vulnerability, anybody in the room? Amen. Thank you so much. I see I'm not speaking to death people. I'm not the only one. However, the reality is... And it's true, we all should be devoted, and you're absolutely right when you think about your own life, and we all know this. So we know we should devote ourselves, but if we're really honest, like a few of us just were, we would know that we don't see that devotion all throughout the year. It's just not always a part of it. We're just like, like laser-focused. So in this series, we want to look at what happened to the church in the beginning. 
the early church, to the followers of the way, even before they were known as Christians. And we've been centering it around this um, book or this specific verse in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42. I'm going to read it with you. This is a very special verse because there's so much power packed into this. Read it with me. It's on the screen. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In these two verses, we get the application as well as the inspiration for the disciples' devotion. Both sides of it. The one side is hearing about Jesus, hearing about who he really is, what he really did. They had an encounter. They are discovering something. And after they've discovered, they start applying their life in a different way. And they would devote themselves to the apostles' teachings. And that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to be talking about to fellowship. Just this little word, fellowship. Now, just a quick interesting thing. There is a secret source to change. When you really want to change, like I'm dedicated to losing weight this year. Anybody want to ever say that I wanted to change? Yes, amen. And I hear a great crowd saying, amen, brother. Okay. They say there's a secret source that will make it happen for you. It's called the following thing. I learned this from Mr. Nathan Pillay. He quoted this and I, it's still stuck in my brain till today. He said, show me your friends, and I show you your future. So guys, Yaku says he is available for whoever have committed themselves to saying, I'm ready to lose weight. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. <laughs> But it's so true, guys. This is actually scientifically been proven. Uh, we, our friends form us. We become like the friends we surround ourselves with. For instance, I'll never forget Brahm, and I've shared this story so many times, but I never did my homework at school. I was that guy that would write down, copy homework the whole time. I cannot believe I'm saying this in front of a whole crowd of people. But in any case, I was that guy. I did it until I met Brahm. And you know the reason why I did it? Because my buddies that I hanged out with also did it. That's kind of like the thing. And then the one guy that I would always borrow the book from would find compassion in his heart, and he would become my friend. And later on, the one poser, I would take it out one break time, ask him, listen, can I quickly get your math homework or whatever it might have been? I can't even remember what it was that day. But he looked at me and he said, Lorraine, is that really who you want to be? always steal anyone else's work, or you're going to stand on your own two feet and do your own thing. So from that day on, I never did homework at home. I also never copied homework. I did it myself at school. But it happened. It happened. Okay? So friends form us. They shape us into the people that we're going to become. I'm really excited that I spent some time with Ilza, seeing that I'm losing a little bit of weight here and there. But the reality is, if we want to move if we want to dive into and devote ourselves, one of the most crucial elements for success is fellowship, is the people around us. So we need to move from isolation as Christ followers to integration. We need to be integrated into God's family. This word fellowship actually is the word koinonia. 
Everybody say koinonia. Like coin, 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 koinonia. So you remember it. And it means more than just hanging out or enjoying some time together. Um, Ephesians 4 verse 16 actually brings it to light as Paul writes about it. Listen to how he says it. He says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together. Everybody say joined and knit. There you go. The word koinonia actually means both of these concepts. The word joined means, and it implies, that we fit together. We're like a big puzzle. And this is the part we many times like. Like, you come and bless me with your gifts. I come bless you with my gifts. And listen, together we're better. Everything works just better together. And it's like the puzzle picture, which is really, really, really amazing. Meaning everybody has a space to serve. Everybody has a place and someone that they need to build up and encourage. But then there's another word, the word knitted, that's used here. And knitted together implies that we are interweaved. We're woven together like a rug. Meaning we are intertwined, connected in each other's lives. Not just on a functional level. On a deep heart level. On a vulnerable opening up my life level. We are part of the same family. You know the thing about family is you don't get to choose your family. You get to love them. That's it. That's the picture. You've been woven, and you get to love them. And we're going to be looking at a guy that made this shift. His name is Paul, and how he made the shift from living isolated against the church to becoming one of the greatest promoters of fellowship in the church, fighting for it, instructing churches to engage in it, teaching them how it would work. So Paul shifts from isolation to integration, and the first time we meet him is in Acts chapter 7, where he's standing by and approving the murder of Stephen as they're busy throwing him with rocks. He's the first guy that got stoned for following Jesus in the Bible. And who is standing there saying, this is next level cool. I'm doing something for God. It's Mr. Paul. In fact, he was so zealous with this. Listen to what Acts 8, chapter, um, Acts 8 verse 3 says the following. Listen to how it describes Paul's mission. It says, but Saul, at that stage Paul was still known as Saul. He says, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Have you ever met someone that wants to destroy the church? Think about it. Have you ever been in a place where you would want to destroy the church. This guy literally went to homes. Like he would rock up at your community group. All smiles. The next moment, the armed guard would come in. They would take the food. They'd take everybody and you go into prison. He was actively pursuing destroying fellowship in Jesus' church. That was his mission. That is what he was busy doing. He was so devoted to his cause, and he was thinking that this is something God has sent me to do. I'm going to dive into that. That the moment the high priest wanted to send someone to Damascus, he was like, I'm there. I'm your guy. I'm going to sort out these Christians, this new religion. I want to break up every single thing that they hold dear. I want to take their lives. I'm going to rip them. I want to destroy the church. Have you ever been there? 
We don't live today in a world in South Africa where what Paul did was the case. Okay? So we don't live in a space where people would come in your home and they would come and destroy whatever God has brought in this journey in terms of family putting next to you. It just doesn't happen. However, there are two other things, two little trends that I quickly want to touch on that I do believe is busy destroying fellowship in the church. The first trend is the I love Jesus, but I don't love the church trend. Anybody heard that one? No problem with Jesus, but his church. You know, those guys. Can't spend time with them. These are people that say, you know, I would love to journey with Jesus, and I, I can connect with God outside of his church. I want to have the comfortable life that I enjoy, the spirituality that I can connect with, but I want to do it outside of God's design plan for church. George, uh, the Barna group, I think it's George Barna, actually said the following. Their group discovered the following stats. They say that these guys do not necessarily keep away from church because of past wounds, as we would have thought. But most of them believe they can find God elsewhere, and the church is just, just not personally rele- relevant to them. In South Africa, to make it bring it really back home, we have a trend like this. It's called listening to podcasts, online sermons, and reading articles, and not coming to church. It's like I'm having my journey with Jesus, and it's a solo flight. It's isolation. And guys, this trend is busy destroying God's purpose for fellowship in the church. That's what it's doing. Can I quickly read to you words from Jesus' mouth about this trend? I want you to see it. John chapter 13, verse 34, 35. You can read on the screen with me. Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, by this, once again, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is busy making a defining statement, guys. He's busy saying, if you follow me, if you love me, if you want to be my disciple, this is the defining thing for a disciple, is you love my church. You love the guys that I've planted next to you. You love one another. It is impossible to love Jesus and not love his church. It's just impossible. It's impossible to follow Jesus and love him devotely with your whole heart and not be in love with his church. It's just impossible. It doesn't exist. It's a phenomenon that was birthed after the Enlightenment era that says, you know, you have your little private thing with Jesus and it's you and Jesus. But that is not God's design. God's design is not you and Jesus. It's you, Jesus, and his whole family. He's the big brother. And you've been invited to the party. Come and enjoy it. So that's the first trend that's busy destroying fellowship. The second trend that's busy destroying fellowship, we all know this one, it's consumerism. Might be familiar to you. This is another trend. And what actually happens here, this is people that comes and they attend church, but they're not part of it. They don't get integrated. 
They just kind of like come on a Sunday and they come and enjoy it. And I know what I'm saying now might be stepping on people's toes, but I need to say it because it's the truth. You need to hear this. The reality is this fellowship is costly. It costs a price. And some people don't want to pay it. Some people just want to enjoy the benefits of fellowship. They want to come and join and feast on the word on Sundays and the worship and the experience that we have together. And all those things are really amazing. I'm not going to downplay them. I really think it's wonderful to be a part of this family and to join into this family. But while you feast on that, you're missing out on the following. You're missing out on friendship, real friendship. You're missing out on accountability, editability, people that can speak into your life, that can see things, that can see, has perspective over where you are in life. You're not growing. You're stagnating. And you're hoping that coming to ride a Sunday wave will make it happen. But guys, if you want to have depth in your journey, you need to open up yourself for fellowship within the family. You're missing out the real power and the energy is as we minister to one another and the fellowship. You know, wherever we gather together, who's in our midst? God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Jesus. What happens when Jesus rocks up? Things change. Why do you want to spend time alone? Why are you not together with other people, other brothers and sisters? Do not rob the church. Don't rob this church of your contribution as you become a part of this family. Because you're destroying the church in the following way. You're a foot that refuses to walk. You're a mouth that refuses to talk. You're a heart that refuses to pump blood. And the body suffers. Now, I know I've been really harsh. So maybe I should just put this word in here as well. What do we do when we meet people like this? That's all here for consuming. We embrace them with love. And we walk a road with them, inviting them and helping them to take the first step, the second step. I never forget it. There are people in this church that had to take their first step just serving in a ministry. Some of them had to take their first step joining a come dine with me. That might be a first step for you. But we love and we embrace and we give grace all the way through because it's a fellowship that will heal people, not condemn them. But the reality is, is there are people destroying the picture that God has for his body when it comes to fellowship. Paul is one of those guys, and he was on this road. But Paul, for him, everything changed. After he met Jesus... I want to read to you that moment when Paul made this shift and Saul turned into Paul and something totally radically shifted in this man. Acts 9 verses 3 to 5 says the following, as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul answers, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus. Can you imagine the shock on Saul's face? <coughs> what? Heart attack right there. Come alive back again. The guy that I've been persecuting is actually really who he said he was. 
I cannot believe it. It shook the foundation of this man's faith. I mean, he thought he was doing God's work. Literally, he was filled with zeal. I'm going to persecute the church. The next moment, Jesus stands in front of him and says, Well, I'm the Lord. Why are you persecuting me? <laughs> You're not doing my work. You're missing the point. This moment would shake Saul's life upside down to the point that Paul would become the guy that would devote his life to building and planting fellowship in the church. He often expressed love to specific individuals. He had like a little band of guys around him that he journeyed with. Timothy, Titus, and a few other guys, brothers, that he's journeying with. He would write letters to different churches that he's planted to instruct them on how to fellowship in God's body. In fact, I don't know if you've ever heard about the one another concepts, but all of those comes from Paul. Paul writes them. I want to read a few to them. Read a few to you. Be at peace with one another. Love one another. Honor one another. Love in live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another. Then just as Christ has accepted you, instruct one another. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Make your love increase and overflow for one another. Forgive one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds, only to name a few. This is about 17 of a list of 52. Paul got it when it came to fellowship. Can you imagine what it would be like to be around a group of people and to be journeying with friends that have this at the core of why they live? They devote themselves to do this to whoever is around them. Can you imagine what will happen to you? I can tell you what will happen. You will just grow. You will flourish like you've never grown before. If you ever long to grow as a follower of Jesus, join his church and open up your life. We need to make this shift, guys. And the only way we can do it is to encounter Jesus. So what I thought I'd do right at the end here is just quickly share with you three building blocks that was so clear and pre um, present in Jesus' ministry. It's almost like the foundation of how Jesus went about doing fellowship, how he actually devoted. I mean, we're not talking about the guy that just devoted himself to a Jesus. Now we're talking about the guy that designed it. He's the author of fellowship. This is his idea. And he goes around and he puts it into practice. And I want to make it very easy for you guys to remember. So it's eat, love, pray. Is that the movie's name? How does it work? Okay, now, now other than that movie, that movie is focused on self. It's all about finding myself. Jesus says, no, 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 you miss it. To eat, to love, and to pray is not about yourself. It's about the people around you. It's doing it for those around you. Jesus went all around, and he ate with all kinds of different people. Luke 15, all the tax collectors, sinners, were approached to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eat with them. Jesus ate with the unwanted. 
the neglected, the rejected, the poor. Why did Jesus eat with sinners? Why did he eat with the adulterers? Why did he do this? Well, because when you eat with someone, you're saying to that person, I see you as valuable. I'm not superior to you. Can I make a quick, very practical example of this? It's so easy to look at someone that doesn't have and that may be poor and to think, you know what? I'm above you. I'll just quickly give you money. I don't have time to spend with you. Can I challenge us to open up a meal and a conversation the next time you see the need for a brother and not just provide food? You might discover a mind-blowing journey opening up in that moment for you because that's what Jesus did. And people's lives were turned upside down. So, the first disciples did exactly the same. They said here in uh, Acts 2 verse 46, it says, They ate their food with joyful and humble and a humble attitude. They ate together. I'm not superior. I see everybody in the same way, the same light as Jesus does. Sit down, have a meal with a friend. Maybe with someone that you do not like in this church. That would be a great start. The second thing is Jesus loved. I mean, this is unquestionable. We all know Jesus' love. It is huge. It's overwhelming. And maybe I can start off on a practical note. How do you and I love people? How can we do this practically? One way that I like doing it is just getting to know their story. Just sitting down, taking some time to listen to people's stories. Jesus was full of this. He really did this everywhere where he went. He really had a big interest. In fact, Mr. Rogers, just the other side, if you don't trust me on this, Mr. Rogers, the famous children's TV star, said, you can learn to love anybody once you know their story. Jesus showed this in his ministry. He know details of people's lives. A Samaritan woman, five husbands, the man at the pool, Bethesda, 36 years. He knew what was going on in the people's lives that surrounded him. And when you love someone, when you know their story, you don't just make an assumption. Suddenly your heart is filled with compassion. There is something that's birthed within you the moment you get to know their story. So eat, love, and then pray. And just by the way, next week we're going to talk about this. And there is something big in my heart about prayer. Please do not miss out. Please do not miss out on this. He prayed for people. Listen to this. Romans 8 verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God, and listen to this, and intercedes for us. Jesus prays. He prays. And he prays for you. What do you think is praying for you at this very moment? As he's mentioning your name in front of the greatest throne and the one that sits on that throne. What is on his heart? What is he saying? What is he trusting for? What is he asking and interceding for on your behalf? Because he's asking you to do the same for your brother that sits right next to you, 
spend time praying. So easy for us to say, I'll quickly pray for you. Do you really? Do you dive in? When you say, yes, I'm hearing it's going rough, I'll pray for you. Don't worry, we're praying for you. Are you praying? Here's the thing about prayer. is if you do pray for someone, you cannot talk behind their backs about them. It's just impossible. Because you're speaking to the one that loves them the most. And that will stir up a love and a compassion in your heart. That you will have tears flowing in the morning as you're praying. For even your greatest enemy. As you spend time with Jesus. I'd like to end off with this story. It's a story of the man that I, th I think broke open fellowship in the church in a very big way for me. I actually had lots of hurt when it comes to fellowship out there. As a young man, um, I, really was, I really went through some rough times with my friends. It wasn't very good. And then I discovered my guitar teacher, Willem Goos. And this guy, even though I thought I'm going to be super cool now, I'm playing guitar, I'm next level, I'm out there. We started talking, and the first conversation that we opened up was him being a worship leader in Doxadeo, in the inner city campus, exactly like Central here, for the youth band. And we started journeying together. And little did I know that we would have times when we would cry in his office as I would bring stuff to him that I was struggling with. And he would pray with me. He would encourage me. He would literally climb into his old, literally he had this old beaten up opal key, red opal, opal cup. Don't know if you guys have ever seen one of those cars. It was also my first car, but his, his was like really in a bad state. So he would drive all the way, and I know Bloemfonteiners will not understand this, but it would like be in half an hour's drive, okay? That's like going twice through Bloemfontein, it's basically, just to come and pick me up to hang out with him and have a bride his place. Through that man's compassion, his energy, his time, his love, and his guidance, I would finally end up being in full-time ministry. It's because of that man. It's the one morning that I, one, one afternoon that I got into his class and I said, I don't know what to do next year. And he said, well, why not go to Joyful Noise? Why not give a year of your life to Jesus and serve? And for some other reason, it just... It was birthed in my heart. And I started on this journey. If it wasn't for that man's involvement in my life, asking the questions that I needed to hear, encouraging me when I needed encouragement, I would not have been where I am right now. I wonder how many people are searching for their calling, wanting to grow. Maybe I've stagnated in my journey with God, but I don't want to take that one step of vulnerability saying, Jesus, I'm not just in love with you. I want to follow you, and therefore I will love your people. I will not speak bad of your bride. I will give myself to whatever you have called me to. Let's pray together. Father, thank you very, very much 
that we have the privilege of being part of not just an individual relationship with you, but that we get to be a part of your family. Family and friends that would form us, that would make us brand new, that would encourage us, that through the prompting of the Holy Spirit would build us up, would make the love of Jesus real in a very, very practical way for us. Father, I pray that as there are people sitting right here right now, that they would embrace your love through your family. I know there are hearts that's longing for quality friendships, longing for crown bestowers, people that see what you see in them and they need to hear it, but they don't want to open up themselves to what you want to do. Father, I know there are people like this. Holy Spirit, come and work and move in our hearts. And Father, wherever there may be offenses, just experience this. Guys, if there is anything in your heart against God's church, maybe you've gotten hurt. Maybe you feel, I cannot do this. How can I ever trust again after that, Lorraine? I want to tell you guys, Jesus has enough grace, and church might be messy, but one question, if you go to a bad restaurant and you have a bad experience, does it mean you never ever go to a restaurant ever again? No. You can trust God. He has big plans for your life. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.